0: Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report's weekly cyber report sponsored by Fortress Information Security. I'm your host, Vago Meradian. Later in the program, how a new company passionate about cybersecurity is focusing on education to improve America's national security. But first, joining us is Robert Diesel Silva, a retired United States Navy commander and cyber professional who is now the vice president for professional services at Fortress, here to discuss WatchGuard's first quarter 2022 threat report, on ransomware that's been getting a lot of attention. Diesel, uh, thanks so very much for joining
1: us. Vago, it's great to be here. Really appreciate the opportunity to discuss not only this report, but just ransomware and and just cyber resilience as a whole and, and what we do here at Fortress. So really appreciate the opportunity.
0: Thank you. Uh, absolute uh pleasure uh, having you on. And before we get started, our global coverage is sponsored by Leonardo DRS. Fortress Information Security, of course, sponsors our weekly cyber report. Northrop Grumman supports our cyber coverage overall. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our coverage of strategy, ultra intelligence, and communications. Sponsors our command and control coverage. And we are a Farnborough International Airshow media partner. And our coverage of Britain's leading airshow is sponsored by Farnborough International and Leonardo D. R.S. Uh, Robert, um, this new uh, report—it was just uh, released last week—shows ransomware detections have risen 80% in the first quarter of 2022, which is which is pretty good. Uh, the threat's not going away, uh, and companies obviously have to t- take steps to protect themselves. And as Mark Montgomery and Jim Lewis and Mike uh, Rogers have told us, right, any better, more awareness is is better to improve your security uh, overall. First, let's start with. Uh, sort of other key takeaways from this report, right? I mean it's a 48 page report. what what stood out uh, to you as most sort of newsworthy for our audience?
1: We're going to continue to see increases I think both in the number of tax and as well as in the number of detections because this as you said, it's not going away. it's only going to continue to increase. but overall you can see that, that companies and uh, they're getting you know culturally we're getting better. Uh, the tool sets are getting better to detect uh, a lot of these malware intrusions. They're being able to close the easy paths, you know, through training, uh, getting the workforces, you know, educated as to you know the, the basic cyber hygiene. But overall, what you really want to take about this is that this is never going to go away. Um, even things that you know uh, Emotet that came out, you know, first in 2014, you see it making a, a resurgence. You see log 4 shell that that came out and should already be passed, you know, already increasing, you know, so they're really starting to look back at things and making sure that people are doing their due diligence. They're always going to come back. They're always going to be um, reattacked. So overall, what you need to take from this report is that while intrusion detection is getting better, culturally, we are getting better but this is not something that's going away and you have to maintain due diligence and vigilance in this category, right from the start. This has to be cyber defense has to be as important as any other supply chain line of support that you do. Right. This is not a program that you're ever done with. You have to be doing it continuously.
0: Uh, is this a function of more intrusions, more vigilance or, or both? Right. I mean, I remember talking to the Mandiant guys ages ago uh, and, um, you know, Richard Baitlick saying, you know, hey, look, I mean, by the time we find somebody, they've been in there as much as a year, uh, many, many months. And oftentimes, it's after they've gone that we figure out that they, they were there in the first place, right? So how much of this is more vigilance, more intrusions, or is this a, a case of both, right? Are we, are we getting better at spotting? Is that what's also happening? Walk, walk us through the taxonomy of this.
1: Yeah, I really think it is, it is a matter of both. Um, you're, you're going to see an increase, um, you know, as more and more attacks are developed, as more and more are found. And even when you talk about just, you know, the living off the land type of tax where they're using, um, you know, whitelisted, you know, traditional files that, that are being, you know, now used for attacks. So um, you're going to see the increase in that but as i said we're getting much better because companies they're they're starting to understand that you need a, a layered defense that training alone is not enough that you can't just put you know put it on the backs of the people you have to have you know not only your strong passwords your multi-factor authentication at the root level but uh, cyber compliance uh, additional tool sets signature detection behavioral detection But it even goes beyond that and really it's about getting right to the root of it it's it's not just compliance you can't you can't focus on compliance with regulation you really have to look at risk management and understanding that no matter what training you do no matter how culturally accepted it is no matter how smart your workforce is no matter how many tool sets you have there's still going to be risk that you're going to have to go and be proactive about and look to find where those holes are going to exist and have programs in place you can respond to those. So in short, it is both. But I do think that the intrusion detection is getting much better as well, which is catching some of the easier attacks. But you're always going to have to be proactive to, to really dig into those that are complicated and complex.
0: Walk us through the comparative sophistication of bad guys and good guys in this, right? Um, obviously, I mean, the United States government uh, and your former organization, the United States Navy, and those good folks in Orlando at TSD. Uh, where you were doing, you were mining the CyberSafe uh, program for the Navy, which is a very important initiative, uh, as as well as, you know, what, more than 70 programs overall that were under uh, your portfolio. Um, right? I mean, so on the government side, it can be pretty good, even though we've seen some massive breaches, whether it's OPM or anything else, whereas on the corporate side, it was not as good. Walk us through the whole ecosystem of You know, and there was, you know, a first mover advantage, a surprise advantage that bad guys have. How is that balance of good guys, bad guys changing here in terms of their relative sophistication and capabilities?
1: Yeah, I think sophistication, um, obviously, you know, from the government side, you're gonna, we're, we're going to pull in the best of the best, give them the best training and make sure, you know, that, you know, what we say there is you can't have a good defense without a good offense. And so everything, you know, that you're going to learn on one side, you're going to bring to the other. So what, what makes the, the DOD and the government so effective is that the, they do treat this as a program. It is not just something that they are done with or getting a check in the box. Um, you really have to be proactive in this. you you so the sophistication continues to grow. they're constantly looking, they're being vigilant um, teams. I think because you have to realize that that's the same thing on on the bad side of it, you know where where they are looking for, you know not just looking at the legacy attacks, those are the easy ones that, that are getting a little bit easier and, and being able to be detected but they are constantly innovating. They are looking for ways, you know, I, I mentioned the, the lay of the land type attacks where, you know, they're, they're going in and instead of scripting large things that are gonna get caught by signature, they're, they're using the type of attacks that are gonna make it pass signature. And now you have to have sophisticated behavioral type detection systems in place. Um, You know, so they're not getting as much as that, but they're getting in and they're they're To your point, they're being able to stay longer, find the lay of the land and then develop more complex attacks. So on the bad side of it, they're just as sophisticated. But what keeps us ahead is that, you know, we have those same people on our side, developing those same things and using those for defense. When you talk about the commercial side, you know I think what what can get in the way of a successful uh, defense is relying on compliance. Um, regulations are, are tr- traditionally a little bit behind, so if you're just complying with what was, you're not really leaning forward into what will be, and right. so you have to be managing that risk and and have a a program or a platform in place with with dashboards that you know much much that we do here at Fortress is is to give you situational awareness so that you can constantly track trends, um, see you know all the way back to the root level at the vendor level, where's your software coming from? What well, do you have S-bombs? And, and not just tracking individual attacks, but being able to see those trends, anticipate, be proactive and know where those you know, next vulnerabilities are gonna rise.
0: Is there anything more that companies should be doing? Right, I mean, it, this is all about uh, greater uh, visibility, right? Um, what, what else can companies do to get ahead uh, of the threat curve?
1: What we used to say, you know, when I was uh, in uniform was, you know, that the bad guys probably know our networks better than we do because they that right. they spend all day, you know, doing that reconnaissance and, and developing those attacks. So, you know, what can companies do better? We have to understand it uh, even better than they do. So right from the root level, who are your vendors, who are supplying your software, um, each separate component of your software, do you know where it comes from? Do you have an S bomb? Have you researched it, you know, all the way down to that level? So that's where it comes right down to that cyber supply chain risk management for your S bombs. You know, you have to go to that level. You don't, you can't bolt on cybersecurity. You have to get ahead of it. Um, anytime you try to bolt it on, you're gonna be late. You're gonna be more expensive and it's not gonna be as effective. So understanding right from the start, where your software is coming from making sure you're running it through the proper checks and and then as again we talk about the three phases of, of really basic cyber hygiene you know you have to continue to beat that drum and do periodic tests to make sure that your workforce is not just receiving the training but they're understanding it and and being an active participant in it but you also need that compliance you know i say compliance is not enough but you have to set your floor. You have to make sure that you are in compliance with all of those regulations, and you're doing testing within the environment that you're working in. But that last piece that I talk about, you know, that's that's that should be the assumption. But it really is, you know, what we at Fortress talk about: cyber risk management. Because no matter you could be 100% compliant with 100% trained workforce, but you're still going to have risk. There's still going to be zero days. There's still going to be vulnerabilities that come up. So you have to be able to track that and manage this as a program. You're never done with cyber supply chain risk management or malware defense. It is an ongoing process that you have to be managing actively and be ready to respond when that comes up.
0: Robert, thanks so very much for joining us. Really appreciate it and look forward to having you back on again uh, in the program in the future. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you, Vago. Really appreciate your time today.
0: And joining us now is Philip Niedermeyer, an extraordinary man of many cyber hats. He is the Managing Director for Alliances and Development at the Ward and Berry Law Firm, a senior advisor to the Cyberspace Solarium Commission, and a board member of uh, the National Cyber Group that aims to tackle one of the most important and persistent problems in American cybersecurity, a massive and steadily growing workforce gap. Joining Philip uh, is NCG's chief executive, David Moon, a U.S. Air Force veteran who has broad corporate and cyber experience, including a Netfish Technologies and Peregrine. Uh, guys, welcome to the program. Thanks so very much for joining us.
2: Thank you, Vago. A privilege to be here. Thank you, Vago. We appreciate the opportunity. Uh, indeed.
0: Uh, and very proud of what you guys uh, have uh, achieved. And Philip, really admire uh, your passion Uh, on the entire cyber uh, education uh, issue, the diversity uh, issue, and addressing this workforce gap. And this is definitely one of those instances of putting putting your money where your mouth is. Um, You guys have LP First Capital and GP Capital partners that have invested uh, certainly in the company, which is uh, terrific. Give us a sense of the mission of the organization, Philip, and what it is you guys are trying to achieve.
3: Our mission is simple. We are gonna close the cyber job gap we've given ourselves three to four years to do it. We identified key assets that would provide us the resources to make that happen. First and foremost, it was the partnership with LP First, their experience with Zolage, their ability to scale a very complex vocational school platform focused on the medical and dental assistance training, growing it to 150 campuses in 22 states. When I met them, I realized there was a possible solution to take on that job changer area that was so challenging to the marketplace. And we added to that a team of professionals led by David and two fabulous companies, first and foremost, Total Seminars, 20 plus years leading the self-training compartment in the industry, Mike Myers, a legend who has taught people when I walked through the RSA with him, booths shut down, people hugged and kissed him, demanded to take photographs with him. They have the self-learning component, videos, books, McGraw-Hill's number one publisher, uh, Udemy, um, and on uh, LinkedIn Learning, they're, they're it. Marrying that in partnership with two great entrepreneurs, with the sock and cyber experience, Omer and Hassan with CyberNow Labs and um, bringing in David Moon to lead it made all the sense in the world. And our goal is to build these two companies up. Right now, Total Seminars graduates through their self-learning platform, about 10,000 students a month. We're on the track to do around 4,000 students with CyberNow Labs. And in three to five years, those numbers will be more like 30 to 40,000 students at CyberNow Labs. Um, and uh, with total seminars being the the part the engine to make it happen, and Dudley Gleamer is a big part of that too. So we've got a great team. It's been supported in the journey by key people, by key organizations, right from the beginning. Admiral Bill Studeman's you know, sort of lit the fuse. Right. Uh, General Hernandez, <laughs> Dick Schaefer, the list goes on. I, I have been blessed by people who you know, kicked me, pushed me and helped me. And um, I couldn't ask for more and for better partners at LP First Capital and David Moon. So our mission, close the gap and to take on what General Karen Gibson completely perfectly put, improving cyber education is essential to our national security as developing the next advanced weapon systems. That's how desperate the situation is.
0: Um, and um, I couldn't agree with you more, uh, Philip. And in a moment, I want to uh, talk to you a little bit about expanding uh, this, right? I mean, because you're looking at one part of the problem of the workforce element of it, but I also think we have to be talking, uh, as you've been, from an elementary school uh, level and and growing those uh, capabilities. David, uh, you're a veteran, uh, not just of big companies, uh, right, uh, in, uh, that go well beyond Silicon uh, valley and the trick is how do we do this differently mark montgomery a uh, uh, senior advisor at the cyber uh, space solarium uh, commission uh, was the executive director before he took his current uh, capa- uh current capacity and laura bait uh, wrote uh, the workforce agenda for the national cyber uh, director he was on um, mark was on the program a couple of weeks ago talking about the problem and how to solve it uh, from a senior uh, level right because if If nobody's in charge, nobody's in charge. David, how do you pull pull this off, right? I mean, there's a moral mission here. Um, Obviously, you have investors that you're also trying to satisfy. But what's the trick to being able to do this, do it right in scale? Because as Philip said, the challenge of growing cyber talent is, is almost like growing medical skills, right? I mean, it's any very sophisticated, both the gut and the technical skill to come together, um, to diagnose the problem, have the foresight, have the experience, and that takes time, right? So how do you synthesize this in a business context and do it carefully to help the, the passionate uh, passionate side of Philip and the financial part of your investors?
2: Certainly. Well, and Vago, first off, you know we really have to look at the numbers because we have, by some of the most conservative estimates, a 600,000 person gap in terms of the number of available positions and the number of people available to fill those positions. And obviously these have a great deal of technical requirements and sophistication that is needed from these graduates. So uh, it's not simply something that can simply be solved overnight, but <clears throat> at the same time, excuse me, we have a, a very strong and innovative program, which I'll speak to in a second, that is able in 20 weeks to take a properly qualified candidate and bring them out into what one of our top five aerospace companies that we work with where we've placed a half a dozen people so far described as deep technical skills of our graduates, in addition to what they described as awesome personalities And when we probe deeper on that, it was because we've got people that they are placing and bringing into their organization who, when they say they're going to do something, they do it, they know their skills, they know the drill within the profession, and they're able to hit the ground running right away. Now, a lot of this is really based on a formula in training that includes the best and most popular and most effective cybersecurity technologies available and that we actually train them in a live uh, cybersecurity operations center or CSOC that exposes them to actual attacks. These are real attacks uh, coming in and also the ability to respond in the way that they will actually experience on the job. So part of the feedback that we get from the industries, primarily uh, financial services, healthcare, and aerospace and defense, is that we have people who can be job ready day one, and this is very essential, and it's fundamentally different from a boot camp program or people who obtain what are generally referred to as paper certifications, but without the practical knowledge to apply on the job. Now, in addition to this, it's important, and and Philip kind of made reference to this, that we have a variety of approaches in our society today, here in the U.S., for educating individuals in this profession. We have many universities that are active in this space. We have boot camps. We have a variety of things. It's simply not enough. Something must fundamentally change given these numbers. And that's what we're really bringing to this market.
0: Philip, what is uh, the key from your standpoint to uh, speed? Right. I mean, that's it's, it's a fact, you know, just as our mutual friend JC Vega has said this, I should have given a shout out to JC, right? JC has said, we've got to do this completely differently in, in how we do it. Right. And, and that's what David, you're trying to bring uh, into the equation. Philip, from your standpoint, what's the key to speed?
3: The key to speed, two main factors, is opening up our industry through inspiration and inclusion to more people to make them aware that it's not about coding, it's about problem solving, it's not about uh, the barriers to entry for minorities and women to participate in our industry, have been a mindset that has to be altered. If we just addressed that, we could we would move the needle enormously. The second part is the process of the training. And that is where the combination of total seminars, I don't wanna sound like an advertisement, but the combination of total seminars, Girth and CyberNow Labs capabilities, marrying them together. When you've got a resource of CompTIA certified Uh, personnel in the nation numbering over a million that have been certified in the last three and a half years through total seminars. And you apply that to the CyberNow Labs training and capabilities on site with a real live SOC working with products like CrowdStrike and FireEye and the likes in, in real systems. You end up with a capable cyber person and then you force multiply that by the key ingredient making them a professional when they leave the schools, when they leave that education platform. They're not just ready to do the technical compartment, they're ready to perform as professionals in our industry. And that, that's a really vital factor. So it's opening up the, the, the spout to include minorities and women in a much broader way through inspiration and inclusion, and then changing the way we teach.
0: Um, David, uh, you know, just just before we got uh, started, uh, you know, I we were reminiscing about punch card mainframe uh, days. Ah, the smell, the sound, uh, so unlike anything like whirring computers. Anyway, um, right, there were not a lot of women uh, who were in the field, right? I mean, there, there are still some extraordinary folks throughout history and, you know, and I'm not, not saying that it wasn't a powerful and important contribution made, but it is still an overwhelmingly male dominated field. Um, And uh, Chris Inglis actually joined us uh, before he became national cyber director and made the case for why diversity is actually really important uh, in, in this, in this field. How? What are some of the things that can be done, and you're doing, in order to get that diversity uh, into the workforce? And talk a little bit about the veterans' part of this as well. You're a, a veteran, uh, as well of the United States Air Force, uh, starting in the missile business uh, in your career. What, what? How are? How are you bringing these various pieces of this together? Because I know that the veterans' piece of it is is something also that that Philip is very passionate
2: about. Certainly, and it's really a passion of mine. Uh, one of my favorite encounters coming through in this profession was early on in the 1970s the opportunity to meet Grace Murray Hopper and actually have a and as you know she was uh, spent most of her career in the U.S. Navy and uh, had the opportunity to have actually a one-on-one conversation with her and one of the things that she did which she was famous for was she handed me a strand of wire perhaps about maybe 24 inches long and she said now keep this wire and i have it to this day because this represents a nanosecond this is the amount of distance that electrons travel in a single nanosecond and it was very inspirational she had a whole standard talk around that but i, I think you know we we haven't she she stood out in that era because she was an anomaly as you said and We now have such a need in this space of cybersecurity that we simply have to tap all of the populations available to us, number one. But number two is, which I think goes back to your other comment, is that we need a variety of perspectives in order to solve for the many, many challenges present in cybersecurity. And we gain that by reaching to a variety of different cultural backgrounds, foreign-born individuals, refugee populations, uh, all genders, uh, as well as age groups. And so from that, we gain a a very kind of multi-layered approach to defense and to understanding threats as they continue to propagate and become more sophisticated themselves. So it's really a bit of an arms race in our field, and we need that diversity in order to get a leg up and gain an advantage. Now, how we do that is we have probably the most effective, just by the numbers, uh, recruiting process in certain ethnic communities in the U.S. and across Uh, male and female populations, and our numbers show today that CyberNow Labs and National Cyber Group are the number one top, on a percentage basis, uh, graduator of women into this career field, and we're very, very proud of that, and the results come back in terms of feedback from people that they have been placed with, organizations where they're working, Uh, in terms of the real value that this diversity of graduates brings to the picture. And so we're very keen to expand that and really bring that out on a more national basis and grow from there. Um, Philip, I want to bring you into this, but broaden the aperture uh, a
0: little bit. As long as I've known you um, you've been talking about actually the importance of actually a national education curriculum on cyber from the youngest level, right? I mean, we're all producing digital natives now who grow up with uh, smartphones, iPads, and technology at their finger, fingertips. And, and yet there's a lot maybe they don't understand about security, um, right? Uh, they're digitally exhaust. And to create that savviness through life as, as part of a through life education uh, uh, initiative, how do we need to take a broader, more systemic look at this? I know that you've been working with Ron and Cindy Gula and their foundation on, you know, sort of uh, the inspirational side of it with uh, their extraordinary grant process on a quarterly basis, uh, but also sort of the vision of how we actually need to change the the educational curriculum in order to just prepare everybody as citizens, but also then potentially create an on-ramp and create that spark for people in the cyber field, right? It's, it's not just for the nerdy kids in the classroom. Uh, it, it's, it's actually as, as cool, if not cooler than almost any other field. Talk to us a little bit about the broader approach we need to be taking in this if, if we're gonna get the nation to where it needs to be. And then I'd and then, uh, love to get your sense on that, David, as well. Go ahead, Philip.
3: If, if we were on our national security and cyber, we'd drown, we would be saying data care, and we'd have to celebrate for a moment and drink a cup of tea or something better.
0: Um, but I mean, maybe maybe a good whiskey would be the, <laughs> the better answer to that, Philip. But but go on, uh, go on.
3: Those who are part of our, our our wonderful group know that well, and David is, and you've been on many times. So, uh, but da- data care and the whole co- concept of cyber citizenship needs to be really addressed with a national program, and I certainly. Met, took a run at that, and we, we have now this platform, which is focusing on the job changers. Uh, but I do believe that we will probably get involved, and I'm speaking more for myself, in that cyber citizenship challenge, educating, uh, you know, literally down to grade one and two on, on that, and inspiring them about our industry because our industry is still in its infantile stage. And uh, people need to understand what it is, you know, cyber is the pipeline through which the efficiencies of our economy have generated billions of dollars of savings so that our economy is the most efficient in the world. And everyone always talks about it only in terms of security. It's not about just security. It's about, we are a fully, almost a fully digital economy, the largest in the world, Russia, China, all these other countries, they're not even close to where we are in this regard. And we save our citizens billions of dollars because of it. And I think we've got to tell our story better. We're always talking about the defense. Well, the real story is from an offense standpoint, we defend, yes, but it's the data transfer that allows efficiency, that saves money, that makes this economy stronger. Um, Obviously, we're going through some economic challenges at the moment that are not related to that. Um, But I mean, we've got to take a deeper dive into the inspiration piece and the cyber citizenship piece at the youngest levels. Philip, you've had conversations uh, with
0: pretty much everybody on this field, right up uh, into uh, the senior most levels of the Department of Education. David, how is it more specifically, we need to push this ball forward from, from your perspective, right? There seems to be an agreement that we need to do this. Um, you know, my wife was on a PTA. She was looking for a cyber curriculum uh, at the time. I know that there are cyber patriots and they play an important role at the Air Force Association trying to do that at a scouts level, uh, almost. Um, you know, how, how do we need to think about this? And what's the timeline we need to think about uh, this to get it into the curriculum? Because this is as important as anything. As Philip said, it's integral to our national economic health, right? It's, it's not just a national security imperative. They're, right.
2: they're inter, inter, intertwined. No question of that, Vago. And when you have Warren Buffett out there saying that this is the biggest risk facing business today, that is a wake up call for all of us. Because as, as Philip said, our economy is at risk. Our society is at risk. And if you need only look back in history. And when there is a risk of this magnitude, we as a society have stood up very serious efforts, be it the Civilian Conservation Corps, the New Deal, the Manhattan Project, etc. And we almost have a challenge of that sort of magnitude here. So there's both, the way I like to look at this is there's both a push and a pull to this in reference to your question. And that is, we can push out curriculum of the type you referenced. We can push out a better and much more functional educational experience for students, but there's also a pull. And the pull is from the economy perspective of these are six figure roles. And for someone, and we we have now graduated and a, a lot of these things really become compelling when you bring them down to the individual level. We've now graduated school teachers, Uber drivers, Uh, veterans, recent immigrants, uh, stay at home moms, etc. And it really becomes a life changing experience for them, because they're now able to get into a professional role in a career field that has very high demand, obviously, and uh, support themselves, their families advance their own uh, personal status And really do something for society and something meaningful. And I think you see this as, especially in the younger generations, as a desire to do something meaningful, make an impact, affect society, and what better way than supporting the very underpinnings of society where we really need to make this difference? Philip, 30 seconds, last word.
3: Last words, a couple of shout outs. If you haven't read the Solarium Commission report and aren't up to speed on what Rear Admiral Mark Montgomery, my friend and my mentor now, God help him, Uh, um, you need to read it. And um, my thanks to David for his leadership and the team at the National Cyber Group. They're doing great things. They're going to change how cyber education is brought to market. And they're going to close that cyber gap. I know it. Because we will make it happen as a team, Vago. What you do for our community is important, and I am grateful for you, my friend.
0: Th- thanks very much, Philip. Really, really appreciate it, and really uh, appreciate very much both of you joining us, and look forward to having you guys back on uh, again. Because uh, this is a very, very important issue. I'm passionate about it as well. I want to make sure that we help get the word out. If if you don't have if you don't have the people, uh, and they're not trained, and they're not capable uh, then it's then it's really not just the security challenge but it's an economic challenge uh, as well for the nation guys thanks very much again for joining us really appreciate it thank you vago
3: thank you vago take care.